And as you sit, if you would turn with me in your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible with you this morning and need one, you can look in the seat pocket in front of you or in your row for one and use that. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this morning we are going to be considering the first five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first five verses. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, let's go before him once again in prayer, asking him to open our eyes and our understanding. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we recognize it as the wonderful gift that it is. We recognize it, Lord, as that which contains pure and wonderful and beautiful truth. O Lord, we pray that your spirit would be mightily at work in us, Lord, that we would be able to see and understand and put into practice those things which you teach us, which you call us to do, Lord, we pray, the things which we need to know. Lord, we pray that you would bring these things about in us for your glory and great purposes. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Thus far the reading of his word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved, Seeing our calling from God in the midst of the siren calls to not do that, to not look at and to consider our calling, rather to ignore it, to forget and turn away from it. That presents a great challenge for us as Christians today, just as was true for the saints in Corinth. The world seeks to woo us to be more concerned about becoming the strong, the rich, and the powerful according to their status and standing in the world. If the world saw fruit from their deception come to fruition in the church, they would be glad, wouldn't they? They would applaud. However, our divine calling is much different than the world sees it. Paul calls us to see our calling from God in much more clarity this morning. Remember that God's effectual call to his people isn't based on status or standing in society, but rather on his free, perfect, sovereign choice. Few who had distinguished character were chosen for the work of the ministry. God did not choose the philosophers or the men of wealth and power in the world to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nor did he choose wise men according to the flesh, even though many may think that a reputation would have contributed much to the success of the gospel. God didn't call the mighty 
or the powerful either, Paul taught us. Though many might think that secular pomp and power would make way for the gospel and better reception. And so if God didn't call many wise and strong or mighty, who did he call? Well, Paul taught us that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen a foolish message. He has chosen foolish people to be his own. God has chosen the weak instead of the strong. God, in his infinite wisdom, is also pleased to work through weak, humble people. Those who have little value and strength in the eyes of the world. Our God graciously and thoroughly purge the wisdom of the world out of our thinking by making these things clear in previous contexts. And further, Paul presses home that there is an excellent reason for God to counter and to correct and to purge his people of the fleshly thinking of the world. Our flesh and the world love to boast in themselves, don't they? They love it. And yet, we have no legitimate cause or reason for boasting in ourselves. We are in Christ who became for us wisdom and righteousness and, and sanctification and redemption. And therefore, soli deo gloria must be our ongoing cry. We don't glory in ourselves, but we glory in the Lord. And so as, as Paul is recalibrating the Corinthian view of their calling and right thinking, Paul goes on in our text this morning to recalibrate their view of his ministry and preaching when he was with them. And so let's consider Paul's knowing nothing but Christ crucified in verses 1 and 2. His weakness, fear, and trembling in verse 3. As well as the demonstration of the spirit and power of God in verses Four and five. But look with me at verse one where Paul talks about this knowledge that he had. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now now see here how Paul begins his recalibration in this section by talking about what he said to them. Notice that his words here build on what he said in chapter 1, verse 17. Look at that verse. When he talked about his involvement with the baptisms in the congregation. What did he say? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. How? Not with wisdom of words. Lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. And so if this is not how he preached to them. How did Paul preach Christ to them? Well, put negatively in verse 17, not with the wisdom of words. But here in verse 1, he states a similar point, putting it both in the negative and the positive. Negatively, Paul did not come with excellent speech or of wisdom. Now, though Paul could have easily come to them in this way, especially if Paul was a people pleaser who was overly concerned with being accepted and not rocking the boat, but he intentionally didn't come to them that way, did he? Paul took the more difficult but right road. 
he didn't come to them like a renowned and skilled orator or philosopher. He, he didn't wax eloquently to them. He came in the right approach, though he didn't meet their fancies and the fancies of his critics who desired Paul to speak with such great rhetoric and superiority of speech. He came to them not to fill the building with those who wanted their ears tickled, but to rightly fill the pulpit. That's what he did. He didn't come to fill the building with those who wanted their ears tickled, but to rightly fill the pulpit. And so Paul spoke to this more with the Corinthians also in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 5 and 6, when he said, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Again, Paul is intentional. He is putting the right priority in the right place. He is putting the right priority in the right thing. He is intentionally crafting both the method and the message of what needed to be delivered to God's people in exactly the way that the Lord wanted it. And this trade and practice was true of other apostles as well, such as Peter. In 2 Peter 1.16, we read this. Peter says, For we did not follow cunning, devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says something similar. I didn't come to you. We didn't come to you in the wisdom of men. We didn't come to you couching this, this most important and salvific message of the cross. We didn't come to you couching it in some wise fable of men. For that would do absolutely nothing. It would make the cross, like Paul said, of no effect. But no, they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so Paul told Corinth, he wasn't an excellent orator. He didn't want their faith to rest in his abilities as a speaker. Praise God for that. <laughs> because there are many even today that would rather do that, right? They, they build their, their speaking, they're their gathering their presentation skills. Right? They build all of this, and people come and they're drawn to their skill and not to Christ and the message. But Paul was intentional. He said, no, I'm not doing that because that's not what you need. And that's not what is at work here. And who is at work in you through this most glorious? So he didn't want their faith to rest in his abilities as a speaker. And yet what was true, positively, he had much spirit-wrought insight and knowledge and declared the testimony of God with authority. And he did that in their midst, in their ears, to their hearts. And this was important for them to know and to remember as they wrestled with these desires within, to hear the rhetoric and to hear the oratory and to be impressed and drawn by those things. And so what was this grand testimony of God? 
Well, as we just heard from Peter, it was the message of the power in the coming of Christ. It was the glorious message of the gospel. Look at verse 2. Paul speaks to this more. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, as, as much as the Greeks sought after wisdom and knowledge, Paul didn't seek to climb the cognitive ladder of achievement in their eyes. He didn't. He didn't seek to look good and to sound smart to them. But rather, he was committed to preaching the message of the cross. Paul would display no other knowledge than this. Does that mean Paul was somehow limited or blunted in his theological uh, death? No, absolutely not. He would discover the knowledge of nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. What wonderful knowledge. What wonderful knowledge for Christ in his person and offices is the sum and substance of the gospel. It's the sum and substance of the gospel and should be the great subject of gospel ministers preaching. This should be a central part of the preaching ministry of every minister in Christ's church. Anyone that heard Paul preach found him to harp so continually on this string that he would say he knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. They would hear that from his lips over and over and over again, church after church after church, Ephesus and Corinth and the churches in Galatia, Philippi, all over the place. They would say, yes, this was the strong message of Paul. He loved Christ. And he was glad, he was privileged to proclaim that wonderful and glorious message of him and him crucified. So though all of this was true, Paul was known to know and preach the gospel boldly and clearly. And notice what Paul said was true as he was with them in verse 3. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. So as God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the mighty, Paul made it clear that he was one of those weak people. The great apostle Paul. Not the impressor of the wise of the world, but the proclaimer of Christ. The one who breaks through hearts. Changes hearts, brings people from death to life, totally shatters the wisdom of the world, and displays in great grandeur and purity the wisdom of God in Christ. These three words, weakness, fear, and trembling, were another way to describe the contrast of what he was to their expectations and perceptions. For Paul wasn't self-confident or arrogant concerning his own strength, as if he had a desire to be independent from God. To the contrary, Paul learned that God used human weakness to show forth his own glory. He knew that, and the people needed to know that. 
The people needed the cedar. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, he said this, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I am strong. Beloved, though Paul was a meager man in strength and stature likely, though he wasn't an impressive speaker in their ears, and he wasn't impressive to look at with their eyes, these qualities only magnified and put the power and work of God in and through the message of the gospel more on display. That God would work through men like Paul, that God would work like through men like me. That God would work through people like you in the proclamation of this message. As weak as we are. And this is exactly what he goes on to say in verse 4. Look at that. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See how Paul continues to recalibrate the Corinthian view. See how Paul continues to recalibrate our view and our understanding of the method and the message of good preaching. The method and the message of good preaching. Beloved, it matters to God how his word is presented and proclaimed. You know, many pulpits today have been reduced to a stage of performers. A platform for slick communicators. But Paul intentionally didn't have the platform presence. He didn't use fluffy philosophical words, enticing phrases, or ideas in his message as if he were a performance-driven pastor. The emphasis, the focus, wasn't a flowery delivery of the message like so many are accustomed to. For we are not that far in our desires and our temptations to be like Corinth in that hour. Paul's focus was to be faithful to deliver the content of the gospel of Christ with authority. His focus was to be faithful in proclaiming, thus says the Lord, instead of, let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. You know, as Paul communicated the purity and the truth and the wonder of the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, he made it clear with the persuasiveness of the message in the hearts of God's people. And he made it clear that it wasn't from Paul. Any persuasion was from the Holy Spirit. He pointed people back to God. The work in their heart, the softening of their heart, the conviction of their hearts 
their eyes being open to Christ and his person and work is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's who he pointed them to. He knew, and he wanted all people and God's people to know that this is the work of the Spirit. This is the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. And so any persuasion was from the Spirit. As the Spirit worked through Paul's weak vessel, as the Spirit works through my weak vessel, even in your ears here today and in front of your eyes, as he worked in and through the message in the hearts of men and women, demonstrating and showing forth proof of his work and power in them unto salvation. Remember what Paul said in Romans 15, verses 17 through 19. Paul spoke about the power of the Spirit. Beginning in verse 17, he said, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about to Elytrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul is faithful. Paul was faithful in his ministry, faithful in his preaching. He preached Christ to all of these people in his journey. He preached Christ, notice he said, fully. Didn't leave anything out. Didn't cut the corner. My friends, there must be a return to biblical preaching today. The Puritans said that the pulpit needs to be on fire. Right? Sometimes Elder Lovelady tells me, man, that was fire today. That was a fiery message. Praise God. Because it's not me, just like it wasn't Paul. It's the Spirit of God working through the message of the Word in your hearts. Believe that. Because that's the truth. And that's why I must not be flowery with anything. I must not dress it up like some supermodel. Because that makes the cross of no effect. The message of the cross stands, and the Spirit works powerfully in it as He shows you Christ. That's who you need to see, not me or my words. And so pulpits need to be on fire, and coming out of that fire should come the light and the heat. And we need to see the light of truth and illumination and sound doctrine that the words would not only go into our ears, but that we would be open and that we would receive the word and that it would sit deeply in our heart and be evident as we live our lives. But there also must be heat and passion and exhortation, even in comfort and declaration. And even of all the pieces and the elements that are true in the proclamation of the word of God. And so what did Paul say then was, important, was the important purpose of the faithful minister ensuring the proper method of delivery and the right doctrine of the message? Well, look at verse 5. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Remember, beloved, that the wisdom of men takes people on a fast track to hell. And that is another great and important reason and example as to why we can't flower the message. Because if we're flowering the message, all we're giving them is the wisdom of men. And not only is it of no effect, but it's damaging. For they are not being fed. They're not being confronted. They're not seeing Christ and hearing of him in his work. Remember that God said in chapter 1, verse 19 of this epistle, that he will destroy the wisdom of the wise. So therefore, why would we want to have a message that's built on that? Why would we want to sit under preaching that's built on that? We shouldn't. And therefore, our faith must never be in such wisdom. That we wouldn't be drawn by human motives or arguments, lest it be said that that the wisdom or logic of men made us Christians. How foolish and heretical would that be? But think about this. When nothing but Christ crucified is plainly preached, our faith must be grounded and found in the power of God. The gospel is preached that God might appear and be glorified in all. Truly all glory be to God. All glory be to God and the great person and work of Christ and his work in saving sinners. All glory be to God in all things that he has done. I'll leave you with this. God is so gracious to us as he removes the dross and the fluff and shines the light of his truth on the sum and the substance of the gospel, communicated so clearly in four words, Christ and him crucified. As Paul was set to know nothing else, as he desired God's people's memory of him and his message to be predominantly one about Christ and the cross, May we too be those who see the wonder and beauty of the gospel and have great zeal to embrace Christ, have great zeal to proclaim this wonderful message against all other man-centered false gospels. But never forget, never forget that as weak and, ins- and ins- insignificant as we are, God is pleased to use you God is pleased to use ministers of the gospel through the proclamation of his word to show forth his work and power. We see the Spirit's work in the faithfully preached word. We see the power of God as he's working in your heart and mind in the very words of his, of his word and of his gospel. And therefore, continue to be faithful and praise Him in this. Faithful to believe, faithful to proclaim. Thankful for that proclamation and truth. But finally, the, the method and the message in preaching matters. Don't be enamored with or ponder and, and share, for example, the memes and the TikToks and the videos and the reels and the quotes. Because they really just speak to you in a certain moment, in a certain way, or the, or the method of the delivery was just so gripping. Right? Is the messenger and the message 
truly grounded in the word and gospel? Or is it just tucking at your emotions? We must not be swayed and have our faith standing on the wisdom of men, for that wisdom, God says, will be destroyed. We must be grounded in the word and in Christ and the power of God. Isn't it wonderful to see such power, such love, displayed to us in such a simple but glorious message? I pray that this passage, that the Spirit of God truly draws you closer to Himself this morning, beloved. That He gives you great joy and excitement for this message. That he has opened your eyes and your heart to see and to hear and to understand. If you're not trusting Christ today, I pray that he will open your heart. That he will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That he will open your eyes to understand, to, to repent of your sins and return to Christ for mercy and salvation. Praise God for his word. Amen.